Let's Get Growing is live streamed Saturday mornings on the Urban Gardener YouTube channel at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. So be sure to come join us for all the great gardening conversations. Welcome, gardeners. I'm Jason from Washington, D.C., and you're watching the Urban Gardener channel. Now let's get growing. All right, welcome all of you awesome gardeners to another Let's Get Growing live cast here on the Urban Gardener channel. I'm Enoch and I'm going to be your host today. We have some really great guests for you today. We've got from the Urban Farm podcast, we've got Greg Peterson with us. We also have Nathan from Growing with Nathan as our channel of the week this week, plus we're following Julia Domakos on Instagram. So be sure to stay tuned for all of these really awesome guests that we've got coming up for you here. Some really great gardening conversations. Now, right off on the top of the show, I just want to mention that uh, we want to thank um, Jason from Washington, D.C. for doing our audience introduction there at the beginning of the show. And we haven't shouted out to our audience introductions for the last couple of weeks. So I wanted to make sure I catch up with that. We started with our very first week with Katie and Logan doing our audience introduction from Temecula, California. And last week we had a really awesome one from Amy, Lily, Alice, and Alfie from Dorchester, England. And I really wanna thank all of them for submitting their audience introductions to us. And if you want to be featured at the very top of our show, be sure to check out our website at letsgetgrowing.live and click on the Get Involved tab up at top there. And uh, you can fill out the form there so that you can submit to our audience introductions. So that's a really great way to be able to participate with the show. So I really look forward to seeing your introductions coming up. And today, we if you are... If you are joining with us today, please get over into the chat box there for us and tell us that you are here and let us know what you've got growing on in your gardens. Also, um, if you have a question or question for our guests that we have, get in the comment section there too, and uh, we will feature those questions here coming up. Also, give our show a big thumbs up. Click that like button. Also click the subscribe button so that you can follow along with all of our fun gardening adventures here on the Urban Gardener channel. And um, also, again, go to the letsgetgrowing.live website there so that you can also fill out the form at the bottom too so you can get our upcoming newsletter so that you can get all of the updates what's going on with our show here today. So... This last week, we published up on our uh, channel page here a couple of tours videos that I did for the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. So be sure to check out our show page so that you can check out those. We got two parts because it got to be a really long video, and uh, I had to break it up into two parts for you all. And it's a really great tour to check out this really fun event up in Seattle, Washington. Now they have just so many things going on there. So many awesome vendors and plant sales and all of that sort of stuff there. Plus these really cool little exhibits. The first part shows some of these really cool patio exhibits. 
And that's one of the things that we're all about here on the Urban Gardener channel is uh, highlighting small space gardening. So uh, all of these really cool patio features that they had were really awesome to check out. So be sure to see that in the part one. And then in part two, of that uh, tour that we did, we went around to look at all of these just amazing uh, landscape gardening exhibits that they had there. It just really awesome. These um, different things that they uh, put in as far as like different landscapes, how you can set up different um, ways of putting in like rocks and features and different things into your garden. And these uh, landscape designers are just complete artists and you'll be completely amazed at the at the different things that they came up with there and one of the things about that too is that the show is like a four or five day show and for the 72 hours prior to that is all the time that they have to put some of these um, displays together so it's really cool to see what they come up with in that time and uh, also they have these just big giant granite rocks too that they use that this company brings in to um to let all of these different designers use in their displays and it's really cool how they just kind of formulate all of those things together so i really encourage you to go to our show page and check that out there so uh you can see all of the really cool things that they have growing on at that northwest flower and garden show just really spectacular so um yeah check that out as well as a video that we put out last week too now last week what we did with our friend mark Boucher colbert he met up with me there for the show and we walked around and did a really fun top 10 video mark put together his top 10 things that he enjoyed about the show and we went around and highlighted those now that's a really great way to see really what the whole show is all about so be sure again to go check those out on our channel homepage and um and see all of the really great things that they have growing on there at that show it's really great and if you get a chance go to next year's show and maybe we'll get to see you there as well too so it's a great transition to also talk about Mark in his segment that we call In the Garden. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of In the Garden with MBC. I'm Mark Boucher-Colbert, the MBC that we're talking about there. And I'm your host here. Today I want to just jump right in. I'm in my basement grow room. I want to show you around a little bit. And I want to talk through some of the things that are important to get our season going, to allow us to grow good quality transplants. Also, I use this room to grow microgreens and some kale and baby lettuces all year long. So I'm harvesting out of my grow room all year long. It's a multi-purpose space. One of the cool things about growing indoors is, especially in your home, is that you already have the heat piece taken care of. You're basically creating ideal temperatures for most garden vegetables. So that's just a given. You're creating it because you want the comfort, but the plants can benefit from that as well. The only other thing we really need to provide then that, that we're missing from the outdoor environment is the light. So let's get right into light and talk a little bit about that because I think this is one of the most crucial elements 
to establishing a grow space, whether it's just a little counter space on your desk, and I'll show you a light that's suited for that, or whether it's kind of a bigger commercial style operation like this rack system. I grew microgreens for the last five years and I had a much bigger space. I've recently had to downsize, unfortunately, but I still preserve some of my equipment and I want to show you some of that. So this is a kind of a commercial style setup using a four bar LED system. LED stands for light emitting diode. And you can see it's a very clean, bright light. This is a kind of a therapeutic place to be during the, the winter. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, we get the winter blahs, the gray skies, the rain. And just to come down here is really an amazing spot. Also down below, you can hear that water going. I do have a little aquaponics setup. Uh, it's not a full circulating setup, but I do. I have a couple of goldfish in a garbage can. I have another uh, kind of a sump area that collects water and circulates it around. It does get pumped up to this, which is full of uh, some clay pellets which provides back a, a place for bacteria to convert fish wastes to nitrates. And then I just scoop out water and water my plants with that and then refill with you know, deconditioned tap water. So there is a little cycle going on here where I have some fish involved in the process, kind of doing an indoor hydroponic setup. Uh, let's look over here though. This is a small setup. Let me tilt that down so you can kind of get a sense of what's going on there. This is really just uh, a kitchen counter LED setup uh, that I love. It's it's compact. The Again, the quality of light is beautiful. You can see the plants are thriving. Here I have uh, broccoli microgreens that I'm just about to eat tonight and tomorrow. We're going to harvest those. So that's a really lovely setup and really could be put anywhere in the home. What I'm going to show you is some of the light itself. Here we see a lot of white, but we see the red and blue that's characteristic of a lot of plant lights. Why is red and blue light important? Well, red and blue light are the kinds of light that plants actually respond to the best. If we think of the full spectrum visible light, we can think of the rainbow, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Plants are optimized to take advantage of the red and the blue light at the far ends of the spectrum. Human eyes, on the contrary, are optimized to take advantage of the middle of the spectrum. We're kind of middle of the road green yellow creatures. So this is why ordinary normal house lights, which are optimized for our vision, don't work very well for plants. When you're selecting a plant light, you want to make sure you're getting something that says full spectrum, because that's going to have the range of blues and reds that are needed to grow plants well. You can grow plants under a lot of different kinds of lights. When I started my farming career, I used just plain old bluish shop lights. I did need to keep them very close to the plant, so that was a key part of, of, of a light like that that is a much weaker light. It doesn't have the output of these LEDs. So light is, you know, it's, it, in addition to be a wave, it's a particle. So basically, I think of spitting watermelon seeds. Like whatever the light source is, it's spitting out these photons. And ordinary shop fluorescents are very weak spitters. They don't spit that many photons. Whereas these LEDs are powerful spitters. They're, they're throwing down a lot of photons, so you don't need to have the lights as close. Indeed, over here, I have my plants a full two feet under the lights, and they're still growing great. Um, all right, so light is really important. 
get the light right, you're going to be well on the way. Uh, I, next thing that's important, obviously, for my plants is soil. So I mix my own potting soil right here. I have this handy little tray that keeps things kind of neat and tidy. Um, and I have some rubber gloves that I don't have here for, for mixing. And then I also have this lovely stainless steel scoop. This is really handy for uh, measuring my, my recipe. Basically, I do a three, three, two, one. Three parts of my own compost, three parts of coconut fiber, two parts of pumice, and one part of finished earthworm castings. So I'm providing some of my own material there in my own household compost that I sift. And then I'm also relying on other bagged products that I get at my local nursery. But using a scoop, I just use this as my standard measure. We're all good. Mix it up in here. I do use a variety of different trays and pots. You've seen these green ones with the broccoli. Here I'm actually sprouting some ginger, so that'll be kind of fun. Um, I use trays like this, heavy-duty plastic trays that uh, have a nice big hole in the bottom. When that start is ready, you can just pop the whole thing out. It comes out as a nice little block. I have used soil blocks. Uh, I don't have a soil block maker here, but I do use that at school. Here's a nice little tray of kale, by the way, that's coming up very well. And then I use uh, coconut fiber pots as well. Like here I have a number of peas uh, ready to go. These are golden sweet. I'm looking forward to those. Those are for the rooftop garden at Noble Rot. And when they're ready, I'll just pop them in. You can see some substantial root growth already. They really have another day or two under the lights and these guys are gonna go outside for a transition period and then up to the Noble Rock. That is one thing to remember, you've got to, when you're growing under lights indoors, you've got to provide some kind of a transition period, especially as we get into the summer, because the summer sun is so much harsher than these lights, so much more powerful, that um, you can get sunburn and sun scald if you just bring your plants out right away. So you need to kind of custom them as you get them out of the grow room. Um, let's talk about what I can grow year-round. You'll notice that I have one big container. This is a hefty bugger, but up to, uh, from starting from yesterday, I had, I had three of these prior to yesterday, I should say, uh, but now I just, two of them I had to take outside because I'm, I'm kicking them out. I need the space, but you can see I've got a, a dwarf curly kale here. I've got some cilantro, also got some basil coming up. And I have been harvesting off this uh, kale for months now. It just keeps coming and I, I cut the outer leaves. I, I give it a dilute fertilization once a week with some fish fertilizer. And everything looks vibrant and nice. It's growing really well. So these crops, uh, like I said, I've been harvesting off this kale all season long. That's a very sturdy shelf, by the way, because that's really heavy. Um, and the microgreens, for example, this is part of my strategy to just provide nutrition year round. Once you make an investment in these lights, no point in just keeping it for just the spring season, right? You can keep the lights going, you keep certain things growing in the very even, predictable environment indoors. That's another really big plus. You don't get severe wind here, you don't get uh, severe drought, you just, you keep, you control it, you keep it going. You'll see that a lot of my containers are in trays as well. And this allows me to bottom water. I can just fill in water in the tray. There's really no mess. And then the, the plants soak that up. 
and when I see that it's dry again, I can fill it up again. So a lot of bottom watering keeps things neater and tidier in the grow room. Let me show you a few other tools that I have and that make life easier. I really like a small pair of scissors like this. Helps me thin out plantings. So here, for example, that little tray of kale again. I've seeded three or four seeds per. The seed is very vigorous because you can see pretty much everything came up as intended. And often during the first thinning, I'm going to cut to two seeds per cell. And then I'm going to wait and watch and make sure I get a good viable, whichever one is most viable when I'm ready to transplant. So little scissors like this are really essential. I do a lot of thinning in the grow room. That's really important. Let's see what else we got. We got a host of other little tools. We got a sprayer. I was going to spray you, but then I think that could be counterproductive. Uh, for misting, uh, this one actually is the best one I've ever found. HDX sprayer. I think it's offered through Home Depot. It's wide mouth for easy filling. That makes a difference when you stick this thing in a water source and you're waiting for it to fill up. And it advertises it can spray at any angle. I have found that to be true. So it makes a nice mist. After I put my seeds on top of my potting mix, I'm often misting them and then I'll cover them with a little bit of coconut fiber. This is one of my favorites, some tongs. Got these at a local pet shop for feeding uh, crickets to your reptiles. But I find they have a hundred uses in the grow room. You can thin plants out with them. You can kind of ream holes if you want to, when you're transplanting things. I also like these little stainless steel tools and such. These are some of the little ancillary items that help make things function smoothly in the grow room. Anyway, there's a million things we could talk about. We're limited in time. We're gonna talk more about all this kind of stuff. You'll be seeing some of these tools again out in the field at the Noble Rot restaurant where I, where I garden on the roof and at the school garden, Franciscan Montessori Earth School, where I also garden. So we'll talk about some of these things again. Anyway, I'm just wishing you a great start to your garden season. I hope you got a grow room set up. Hope you got some little area that you can claim and get. let's just get growing. That's what this program's all about, right? All right, we'll see you next week. So, all right, another great segment from our friend Mark Roche Colbert. He's uh, going to be bringing us some really great things from all sorts of different parts of the garden. And as you saw there in his indoor garden setup that he has for all of his seed starts and microgreens and all of that, he's got a really cool setup there. And um, we'll be checking in with him each week for more different uh, garden lessons in all the different garden spaces that he works in. Be sure to check out Mark uh, on Instagram at uh, Urban Ag Solutions. So it's now time for our segment called Garden Stories. So this week's Garden Stories, we've been running through all of our different garden stories for all of us here at Let's Get Growing. So this week we're featuring our producer, Asia Darling. Asia grew up on a farm with her family in Southern Oregon. She spent her days planting gardens with her Nana and Papa and chasing sheep with her cousins and sisters. She participated in various horticultural classes in high school and loved working in the greenhouse for the annual plant sale. Asia eventually went on to get a degree in sustainable horticulture at Oregon State University, where she planted her first garden as an adult. 
It was an evolution of windowsill mason jars with overseeded and stretching basil to cute little backyard area with trellised peas and a rocking compost pile started by her partner, Kelsey. Nowadays, Asia grows a nearly 2,000 square foot garden each season with her family. They can dehydrate and freeze hundreds of pounds of food a season and share the abundance with their family, friends, and neighbors. Each season, Asia grows tried and true favorites like garlic and dry beans and explores with a few new options like this year's trial of garbanzo beans and peanuts. Now, that's an awesome story there from our producer, Asia. We'd love to hear about all of your garden stories. That's one of the things we're all about here on Let's Get Growing. So be sure to check out, again, check out our letsgetgrowing.live website there where you can, again, hit that Get Involved tab at the top of the page and fill out the form there to submit your garden story. Maybe we'll feature that coming up here on one of our future shows. So, all right, now it's time to check out this week's Instagrammer. Are, 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 are you following me? Are you following me, dude? Now, this week, we're following with Instagrammer Julia D'Amecos. Now, Julia is also a published author of her book the tea tree guard or a tea gardening for beginners so let's welcome julia to our show hello hi, julia. Hey, hi how, are you, how are you good how are you good it's great to have you here with us thank you for having me i'm excited Awesome. Awesome. So right off the bat there, why don't you tell us just a little bit more about yourself and your gardening? Sure. So I am on year 13 now of growing my own food. So um, I started gardening. So I didn't grow up gardening. My parents, nobody in my family ever gardened. And when I had my kids, uh, when my son, my second child was one, I thought um, that maybe, like, first of all, I was concerned about GMO foods. I was just learning about them and I was really concerned about what I was going to feed my kids. So I, we had this nanny at the time and she uh, offered to help me start my first garden. Her parents had this huge garden on their 300 acre property. So I was excited. So she's like, you know, I can help you start your first garden if you want. Um, I can bring llama poo. So that was how it started. And the reason I started is because I was really concerned about the food that I was feeding the kids. And my kids are a year and a half apart. So I had two and my son was really, really picky about eating and texture. So I thought, well, you know, if I grow up myself, maybe he can you know, experience what it is to see it grow and maybe he can taste it. And so the first thing that he tasted and picked from the garden was carrots. And even though they're, you know, texturally different than something soft like pasta, that was the first vegetable he ever tasted. So really kind of started from there. And uh, I ran out of space really quickly. We lived on a small little subdivision property initially, and I needed to have more. I was, you know, obsessed with growing my own. I read everything I could. I took all these courses. I just wanted to do all of it. So uh, we found a home in the country. We live on 25 acres and uh, we started our first garden. And the first garden was 2000 square feet. 
that was good for about five years. And then I ran out of space. <laughs> so we expanded to 7,000. So we started from a tiny little one raised bed to 2,000 to now 7,000 square feet. So now I think I'm good. Yeah. Plus I have a greenhouse as well. But I think that it's a good size for us. <laughs> I grow all kinds of things, including, including tea, herbal tea garden as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's, you know, it's a very similar story to me in a sense is that I didn't get started in gardening until later on. And once you get that in your head, and once you start digging in and growing a few things, you get obsessed. <laughs> and you, and just Absolutely. like you say, you want to grow everything at that point. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. And I did a lot of that. I, you know, I dove right into as much and as much of everything that I possibly could. Um, yeah. So, what were you uh, growing when you uh, when you were starting out in your first garden, Sarah? So my first garden, I grew um, carrots. <laughs> but so yeah. the, the first garden, it had to learn because the first year I didn't know what I was yeah. doing. So we just put it in the ground. And in the first year I put in in a small, the bed was 16 feet long by 40 feet. Sorry, 16 by four. And it was against the wall. So it was really hard to get into. But anyway, it was on yeah. the ground and I put in six tomatoes and um, I think I did three zucchini and peas and carrots and lettuce and beans and all these things I could squeeze into it. And then, of course, um, because I didn't have any protection and it was in the ground, uh, bunny came in and ate all the greens. So all I was left <laughs> with really was zucchini and tomatoes. <laughs> that was oh, fine. Yeah the zucchini took over the entire garden you know like you don't put three zucchini sprawling zucchini plants in a small space but i didn't know i learned after yeah. that uh we had built a raised bed in its place and then it was a little bit easier to and i also with some learning i figured out what to do so mostly it was um the tomatoes were huge uh we built a separate tiny bed for garlic and i had um no zucchini <laughs> it was too big right. for that space uh cucumbers um, I had some carrots, I had some, a little bit of flowers, because I always like to mix in from the beginning, I always put flowers in all my beds, um, and just like basics that way, that first year, and cucumbers, yeah, like yeah. I mentioned, yeah, that was, that was the first garden, yeah. Right on, so now that you've been gardening for several years and all of that, what are some <laughs> of your favorite things to grow in the garden, then? Okay, well, so I don't want to say what everyone says, like, yes, uh, it's, first of all, it's hard to say my favorite uh, because right. I grow so much of everything. So, of course, I love tomatoes. Who doesn't love tomatoes? Yeah. I grow 100 exactly. plants a year, if not more. So th that's my, right. you know, I do at least 50 varieties this year. It's maybe going to be 125 plants. I'm not sure yet. But that's like, <laughs> of, of course, like I love tomatoes. Who doesn't love tomatoes? Uh, but I yeah. really love growing garlic. I've been okay, growing my yeah. uh, the same strain of garlic, excuse me, <clears throat> for over six years now the same strain so i started it from bulbils and i just keep saving them and replanting the largest so i have one yeah. variety it's a russian rocamboli it produces huge cloves that's one of my favorite things to grow it's really easy and i love that it's the last thing i put into the garden in the fall and it's the first yeah. thing to greet me in the spring you know it's like it's already there i already know i have mm -hmm. like three or four beds full of it and so that's really exciting so i love growing garlic and we use it all the time uh, and nothing tastes better than homegrown right you pick it and then it's That's like right. translucent in color and it's so delicious and punching um and then i also really love growing lettuces so another that's yeah. my third favorite so the, like i have to say all three equally and i grow all kinds of lettuce and i love to be creative with them and i interplant them and i make you know patterns and offset shapes and i love all the colors and i just love having a huge bowl of mixed salad greens so those three are my absolute favorite 
That's yeah. awesome. So that variety of garlic that you grow, is that a soft neck or a hard neck? It's a hard neck. So here in the north, hard neck is better. Although last year I did plant yeah. a soft neck to see how it's going to do. Uh, but it's yeah. a it's a hard neck garlic. And it usually produces, now I've been growing the same strain for years. So the the bigger the, the, bigger the, the bulbs that I start with, the more cloves yeah. I get at the end. So initially it was three cloves and then became four. And now I'm getting five to six. But they're all like really nice. big cloves that equal yeah. to you know, like half a normal size garlic. They're massive. They're like, they could be, I don't know if you can see that, but they're huge. They just right. become one giant. You get four giant ones or five giant cloves in a bowl. Oh man, that sounds really good. Garlic <laughs> was, garlic again was one of those ones like we are talking about. You first get started gardening, you want to grow everything, as you said. And so I, you know, garlic was one of those ones that I really love. I wanted to grow fresh garlic, but I had to you know, I had a real learning curve when it came to growing garlic, because like with everything else, you know, it's springtime, you're ready to grow, you're ready to do things. So I'm starting to plant my garlic cloves right in the ground, right in the, you know, right in the spring. And then I'm finding, you know, during the summertime is I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, are these things aren't really <laughs> growing very well. I pull them out of the ground and I've got nothing. They haven't split or anything. So I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And I really had to dig in and research and learn a little bit more about growing garlic. But you got to get that stuff started in the fall. And like you said, it's one of those really great things when you're pretty much done with growing for your season into the fall. Uh, you know, that's when you're getting started with your next year's growing and you start it with garlic you get to that in the fall uh, in the fall time it's so that it can uh, so it's so satisfying isn't it to have that yeah, come up yeah. and you've done you've done all the work before and there it is and then it has those stages of harvest that i love i mean i harvest green garlic because i grow over 500 every year yeah um so i have extra um so i you know i love the green garlic it looks like a spring onion and then i really love yeah. the scapes and they're so they're delicious and i make pesto with them and then i love the garlic so you know you've got like three harvests from one yeah. crop that you plant and i plant mine early november and it's just yeah. fantastic. But you know, have you ever have you ever harvested like planted it in the spring and then ended up with one bulb, like a solid? Yeah. Like a non-split. So those yeah, are that's really what I was fun getting too. First. Yeah. Yeah. So those are really fun too. And some people like they actually ferment them to black garlic, a single clove, which okay. I've never seen before, which is a great idea. But then like if you have spares that have started sprouting now from last year, yeah. um, you know, that are in your supply, you can get those in the ground. And if you get them in early enough, they could still split. Uh, which I've had that happen before. But then if you wait a little bit and you get the single solid one, those are so fun because yeah. you just need one to cook with. You slice the whole thing and it's like delicious. So, you know, yes. it's you can kind of, that's not bad either. I mean, it's not that's good for right. replanting, but it's good for eating. Yes, yeah. exactly. You can always, and that's the thing, you can always use them still, you know, whether it's for the bulbs or the greens, you know, so right. even if you do start them in spring, you can still use them. They're not, they haven't gone to waste as, the, as you would think. It's just, you know, you want those cloves and you want to see just that really <laughs> nice garlic bulb. And that's just something yes. we're getting when you're planting them in the spring. Another way thing too is, you know, you are growing hard necks, so you do get those scapes. Do you use the scapes off of your... Uh, plants as yes. well yes i make pesto it's delicious i mean we can you can saute them you can stir fry them some people pickle them um I, i've yeah. tried pickling them they didn't turn out so well for me but the pesto you know garlic skate pesto is it's unbelievable like it's it's not as spicy as a fresh raw garlic clove but it, it has such yeah. a delicious flavor and it's such a bright green color it's anyway it's amazing 
<laughs> it is garlic <laughs> garlic is amazing in so many so many it ways. gives back so much it doesn't sure it does. it just keeps giving yes. back you plant it once and you get so much from it i just anyway so it's hard to say like yeah. tomato garlic they're both kind yeah. of the same for me we're i garden also <laughs> over in one of my friend's front yards and this last fall you know he was kind of amazed at the idea that we're planting these bulbs into the ground in the fall and i'm like no they're good this is how you do it he was you know i had to reassure him and he's just completely amazed right now because looking out his kitchen window he sees all of them coming up out of the ground he's like look oh, they're amazing. all coming up <laughs> so, amazing yeah, he's, he's getting the thrill of growing the garlic right now too for his first time and it's really kind of cool to see so out of all of the things that you've been growing now, what do you find to be one of the most challenging aspects of your gardening? So, you know, I've always had trouble with brassicas, like cruciferous brassicas. So broccoli, cabbage, uh, cauliflower, those three have just been the bane of my existence. And I am good. I keep trying. I take sometimes I take years off and then I get back this year. I'm going to try some cabbage. Uh, but it's the cabbage butterflies and so i you know i don't oh. do a lot of protection in my garden i have an eight foot tall yeah. deer fence to keep the deer out but in terms of like covering each bed i want my garden open so i don't do a lot of like um the insect netting and i should but the thing about you know the cabbage and those other cruciferous plants they get so big that if the netting sits and touches the leaves they can lay their the cabbage white butterflies can lay the eggs through that mesh and you'll still have them. And I hate not being able to like tend to my garden. Anyway, so I don't, I'm not very good with plant protection. And so therefore I yeah. always get cabbage butterflies that always lay their eggs and I get worms. So that is just like never, you know, that's my challenge. <laughs> and I want to produce a beautiful cabbage, you know, and then the one time I had them covered, the damn cabbage split because I left it in for too long and it got too wet uh -oh. from the rain. And then I had a split. I was just like, oh, it's just, it just makes me nuts. <laughs> I want to do it. But, you know, you yeah. can buy them and they're not expensive. I can get buy them from the local, you know, farmer, sells them organic, grows them organic. I, yeah. I find sometimes it's just easier just to pass on something complicated and plant, use a space yeah. for something that you love. Right. So anyways, but I yeah, keep trying. This year I'm going to try it again. Brassicas are an issue for me too as well. And I just, I don't know, I always seem to have a, the issue of growing them from seeds so over the last couple of seasons i have actually just gone to the farmer's market and got one of the local farmers uh seed starts and uh put starts into my garden and last year i actually ended up with some pretty decent broccoli nice. so again i'm going to try again from seed and if i have if i have to come down to it to get my broccoli i'm going to get those <laughs> starts anyway sometimes that's just what you got to do you know you got to do a lot it. of things there's a lot of things that i can grow in my garden really successfully but there's those things that just don't work out but you've got to have anyways so exactly <laughs> right. so this last year you became a published author and you published Did. your book uh tea gardening for beginners yes Tell us about the process of uh putting that book together so i was really fortunate i was approached by a publisher um last so two Decembers ago about writing the book. And, uh, you know, I was, I've always wanted to write a book. It was kind of like on my bucket list, my dream to write a book, to be published. And I was always hoping to be approached. And so I was approached, uh, which was really great. I didn't have to go out and, you know, and come up with a, a plan and, you know, and shop it around. So that was great. And for a first book, it was amazing. And I'd always been growing a tea garden. So when the opportunity to write a tea gardening book came up, it was like a perfect fit for me because I was already doing it. Um, yeah. 
yeah, so we just, uh, it was a really quick process. The book was published within six months and uh, it was out last July. Um, yeah, it's been great. So it's been, it's been a really great experience having that book written, uh, published and I love it. Like I love, I love the book. Um, I still refer to it myself. There's a lot of information on there. You know, tea, most people think of tea as like black tea, you know, they think of, right. they, they don't know where, they you know, green, white, black, like they, they think they come from different plants, but they come from one plant, they come from the Camellia sinensis plant. So in the book, I talk about, you know, how to grow your own. Now here where we live, it's not ideal. Like these plants originated in China and in India where it's humid and warm. And, you know, here it's dry. You keep it as a house plant indoors. You've got that, you know, the vents pumping out dry air. It's very dry. It's hard to grow. I did try to grow it indoors. I mean, certain things that I just can't do. But the herbal tea garden is so easy to grow. It's also really great because it has very little pest, if any, pest damage. And other than like fruit that I would grow for, for tea, like strawberries, in terms of the actual leafy or flowery herbs, they're not affected yeah. by pests. So you can grow them anywhere. So they're re it's really easy to grow. And it's, um, it's amazing to like be able to grow your own and dry it and then be able to enjoy it. The flavor is much fresher than you know, store-bought. Um, and it's just a really nice feeling to be self-sufficient in another area of, you know, growing your own as opposed to just food. So anyways, yeah. the book uh, covers all of that. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I encourage everybody to go check out that book. And uh, you said that it was a really good uh, experience for you. Do you have any plans to uh, write another book maybe? Yes, I would really like to. This is another, you know, um, that book was on tea gardens. Uh, vegetable gardening is really my thing that's what i love to do and and i feel like i'm okay at it so um i would love to write a, a veggie gardening book so that's you know i have no plans um just yet uh i'm kind of like building my seed business now too so that's another thing that i do um and so i'm really focusing on that as well so there's a lot of things i'd love to start a podcast and so these are these are just like it's it's there but you know um it's on the horizon let's just say it's on the horizon yeah so yeah. many fun things to do actually when it comes to gardening again not just in the garden itself but all those other aspects of gardening too we want to do it all when we really get the passion for growing things and i have to say though like you know i used to suffer through the winters the winters used to be long where i live we have snow on the ground right now so nothing is sticking out of the ground um but ever since you know like if you get into gardening and you can you know start your own seeds and you can learn and you can do other safe seeds and preserve like you really don't feel the winter if anything the winter i find is too short sometimes like can you just slow down i still have all this stuff to do before i have to start the tomatoes you know so it's yeah. actually made the season's a lot easier to go through without feeling like seasonal affective disorder. I don't feel depressed in the winter. I feel like excited. Yeah. Like this is my time to do all the things I had no time to do when I'm growing. So um, it's uh, it's great overall. Like I think it really um, helps boost the mood and it's, it's just a, such a positive thing to do. Yeah, it really does. That's one of probably the best aspects of gardening, though, too, is that uh, that uh, mental change that you get, you, you know, it's just it really makes things exciting and fun, especially when you have that real passion for growing. And like you said, winters become real short because of all the things yeah. that we want to get done for the next season <laughs> and all those things that we get to look forward to. It's just, you know, it, it really is the brightest aspect of the new year for sure. And, Absolutely. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So again, <laughs> I want to thank you so much, Julia, for coming on to our show here and sharing with us all about your fun projects you've got going on in the garden and talking a bit about garlic, one of my favorite things <laughs> to grow. So really awesome to have you here with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Let's get growing is sponsored by IV Organic. Again, it's the time of the show where I want to remind you all again about getting into our chat box there and leaving us some questions for our guests that we have coming up still and uh, any sort of uh, comments or anything like that that you'd like to leave. So be sure to get into the chat box there. And also each week we are featuring a question of the week that we are asking you here on the show and sending you off to our Facebook group, the Let's Get Growing group, and uh, there that you can find our post for the question of the week and leave us some answers that we can feature on the show here. And uh, last year's, or last week, mind you, last week's question of the week is, what are you most looking forward to growing this, or what you're looking most forward to this season in your garden? And uh, we had a couple of uh, responses to our post. Uh, first was from Ayla Sawyer. I am moving out of an apartment and looking forward to dumping out the containers and getting into the ground. That's for sure. I was uh, in an apartment, my very first uh, garden and everything. And it was so exciting to be able to finally get into the ground and grow as well, too. And then we have a comment from Lori Byland who says, I am looking forward to growing in my 20 or my two 20 foot greenhouses. I plan on putting my peppers in there and I might actually get a pepper crop because the deer won't be able to get to them. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I wish I could have some big greenhouses like that. That would be so fun too as well. And then uh, we have a, a comment from our producer, Asia Darling saying, I am adding my final phase of garden bed development. We are adding blackberry and raspberries along with strawberries and asparagus. Can't wait. <laughs> and that's the thing too that I am really looking forward to as well myself this year in the garden is to be able to actually get out there and grow. Kind of like what we were talking about in our interview with Julia there too is that, you know, the beginning of the year is just one of those times of the year where we're just, you know, the possibilities are endless the dreams are you know just amazing when it comes to uh, what it is that we are thinking about and growing with our garden so i'm looking forward to being able to actually like i mentioned too, uh, get a really good broccoli crop hopefully this year and be able to finally get that plant figured out and a bunch of other things that we've got growing on in our garden too so also be sure to keep following along with us here on the urban gardener as we'll be putting out our garden uh, journal videos here in the next couple of weeks. We'll be getting those started throughout the season so that you can follow along with everything that we've got growing on here, not just in my spaces that we have out here at our home, but also I mentioned in that last interview as well, my uh, friends' uh, spaces that we have out in this front yard. Those are some really cool spaces with some really awesome possibilities for our garden. So really looking forward to that as well too when it comes to this upcoming season. Now, next week's question of the week is, what are you, what are you most looking forward to growing in 
your garden this next season. So what is it that you're looking forward to trying or growing in this new season? So go to our Facebook group, the Let's Get Growing group, and check out that post that'll be pinned to the top of the page there where you can leave us some of those answers and we'll feature some of your answers on our show on this next week. So it's time for our next segment, our channel of the week. Hi, Yotsamin Gardeners. Hi, my name is Nathan. Hey guys, what's up? I'm Rachel. All right, this week we have the pleasure of being joined with Nathan from Growing with Nathan. Hi, my name is Nathan, and I'm here to talk about something that is 100% fresh. It's called gardening. In the past year, we have learned so much about the science of gardening. We have learned about the different methods of maintaining and growing plants. From the hydroponics behind me to the raised garden beds outside, we have been experimenting with hydroponic systems, trying to find the perfect balance of nutrients for our plants, and also learning about pH levels, EC levels, electroconductivity and the ideal temperature for most of the plants. Our raised garden beds have been a great success. We have grown a variety of herbs and vegetables and are amazed of how quickly they grew. Spending time in the garden with my father has been a fun experience. We've been binding and learning new things together. We hope to inspire others to start their own gardening journey. Whether you're interested in hydroponics or raised garden beds, we believe that everyone can benefit from the joys of gardening. This has been an incredible journey and we have enjoyed every moment of it. Join us as we explore hydroponic systems, raised garden beds, and the science behind growing healthy plants. We have big plans for our YouTube channel and hope to continue sharing our journey with others. Gardening! <laughs> it's fresh! It's certified 100% fresh! Let's do that. All right, how fun to welcome our youngest guest on the show so far, Nathan from Growing with Nathan. How are you doing, buddy? Good. Just having fun doing this live interview. Awesome. 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 It is so fun to have you with us. I've been really enjoying all the different content that you've been putting out there and teaching everybody all about your garden experience. So how old are you, Nathan? Seven. seven. I'm seven. Awesome. Awesome. So how long ago did you first get started gardening? 
I was six when I started gardening. So that was like last year. So you got started last year. Awesome. So what are some of those fun things that you've been learning about in the garden this year? Like how much nutrients to give a plant, how much water to give a plant and, um, (laughs) and many other things. Oh, there's so many fun things to be learning about growing plants, yeah. huh? So I noticed that you guys do a lot of those hydroponics type of things in your house. You like growing inside? Well, we started with hydroponics, so that's why we do mostly hydroponics, but sometimes outdoor. Awesome, awesome. And um, what inspired you? and your dad to get started with growing and gardening? Um, My love of science and my parents watching me watch YouTube all the time. (laughs) So you really like gardening and hydroponics, right? Because, because plant science was one of the sciences I learned at school and I really liked it so I decided to do it at home excellent excellent so it started in school with some science projects huh yeah awesome awesome and then you just brought that home and expanded it there so you do so yeah so you do a lot of your gardening there with your dad huh Mm mm-hmm Awesome. I saw in your video there, you talked about how, what a great experience it is that you guys get together and are able to garden together. So that's some really good, uh, that's some really good, uh, father son time for you, huh? It's a great time. It's a great time. Awesome. I love to hear about that. So you said that you really liked watching YouTube. So you watch a lot of gardening videos and growing videos on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Any favorites? As well as a lot of gaming videos too. <laughs> gotta gotta enjoy the games too, right? Are there yeah. any uh, any favorite uh, uh, gardening videos or gardening uh, gardeners on YouTube that you like to watch? Um, I like to watch. Um, I, I don't remember it, but something, it's, it's, I don't remember the name, but it's like watch, a very good one. It's, we watch Growing with Angie, Aragorn and Experiments, we, and then your show. We watch my show, of course, <laughs> Growing with Angie and a whole lot of others. Well, that's awesome. It's great to see someone so young getting involved with gardening and, um, and seeing you have so much fun you guys put out some really fun videos on your channel and uh, i really enjoy watching all of those so do you have um do you have any favorite videos you've made so far um i don't know all of them are fun too fun a little (laughs) too too fun fun for me to pick a pick a favorite (laughs) video that's great awesome 
I have so much fun when it comes to gardening and making videos too. It's just when you get out there and you're just trying to put things together, I bet you uh, find yourself just laughing and enjoying some of the different things. You know, one of the things that happens for me in my videos is I'm on the camera and I'm looking at the camera and I know what I want to say, but I just can't say it right. And so I make so many little mess ups and so many little bloopers that I have to put all them all at the end of my video to show everybody all the little mess ups that I do during the video making process. I do that too. But some of the time I get zero arguments with my dad. And those are the lucky times that I get a prize. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So do you have any uh, favorite plants or anything like that that you've grown this last year? I like to grow lettuce because it tastes better when you grow it at home than when you buy it at the store. And that's because you know what you put in it. So you know what you're going to get out of it. And that's not just for lettuce. It's for any plant. That's right. There's nothing better than growing your own food out of your own garden. And just like you said, it always tastes better when you grow it yourself than when you get it at the store, huh? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So do you have any uh, future episodes or videos or anything like that that you're going to be working on or planning right now? Um. We're going to do an unboxing video for a Aero Garden 360. Ooh. And I've already watched a whole lot of other Aero Garden 360 unboxing videos. And I think we can do something a teeny tiny bit better than those. Yeah. So you're yeah. going to make some really fun videos that we can watch to see all of that, huh? Awesome. We really look forward to that. So you mentioned gaming. Do you have any other fun hobbies besides gardening and gaming that you like to do? Um, and doing anything, <coughs> doing anything STEM related, any STEM projects. It's always fun. I love science. It's just so cool all the science types there's too many for me to pick a favorite too but <laughs> i i think i think the first place would be gardening and then second place would be just like like chemistry and history Ooh, wow those are some really fun subjects i bet you're a really good student so that's really awesome yeah. to hear. I, on my tests i only get a's and b's that's it uh that's it. Awesome. Well, you can definitely tell through all of your videos that you put in all the hard work in order to make sure that that's what you get. My dad makes the lines, but I do some of the stuff. If I can't do it, then my dad helps me. That's like awesome. I'm pulling some giant radishes out. If it if the roots are too strong, I can't pull it out. So my dad has to pull it out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's some awesome teamwork. It is really, really exciting to see someone your age enjoying gardening so much. And when I saw your videos and saw what you were doing and I was working on this project, I knew that I was going to have to have you on because I think it's really important that we teach our kids all about the sciences of gardening and all of the fun that there is to have outdoors in our gardens and as well indoors like you're having with all your hydroponics and your new arrow garden that you got coming up. So I'm really looking forward to seeing some of those videos that you bring for us in the future here. Thank you. Awesome. Nathan, it's really been awesome to have you here with us today. I want to thank you so much and thank your dad so much for getting everything set up so you could be here with us on our show. Absolutely. Awesome. Have a good time and make sure you do some good, fine gardening. Excellent. Great advice. Awesome. Thanks, Nathan. You have a great day. And thank your dad for bringing you on to our show. Thank you. All right. Awesome. What a fun interview there with growing with Nathan. Little Nathan is really awesome. I enjoy his videos so much. And again, like I said, when I saw a kid having so much fun like that, I knew that we were going to have to have him on the show, really show what how important it is to really be teaching these young kids how to grow and get into the garden and enjoy that stuff. You know, um, I think it was Ron Finley one I heard once say that, you know, if you teach a kid to grow a tomato, they're going to eat a tomato. And it's so important to be able to uh, highlight the, you know, the importance of growing with our kids. So it's awesome to have Nathan with us here. So now it's time for the featured guest of our show. All right, this week's featured guest we have with us from Urban Farm Podcast, Greg Peterson. And uh, that podcast has over 700 episodes and over 4 million listens. Greg uh, lived in Phoenix, Arizona for over 50 years where he hosts some fruit tree programs and sought after gardening courses. And he also recently relocated to Asheville, North Carolina, where he's learning to garden in a new climate. Awesome. Let's welcome Greg Peterson to the show. Hey, hello, Greg. Hello, hello. Oh, my God. I just have to say this. How can I follow Nathan? <laughs> right? That kid is a rock star. Oh, I'm my gosh. You. I'm telling you, I really hope that everybody goes over and checks out what Nathan's got going on. Right? So, uh, and my website is urbanfarm.org, not theurbanfarm.org. I noticed that on the screen. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll change that for sure. Awesome. How are we doing today? My God, what a great, fun show. How long have you been doing this? We are now on our third week. We just launched here three weeks ago and uh, been really having so much fun doing this and putting together this show. You know, we planned it for quite a while, and so far, everything has been going really awesome, and especially when we get to invite really awesome guests like yourself, Greg, to be on our oh, show thanks. and share with us thanks. all of their really fun gardening stories and experiences. And Michaela, and says, to... Michaela says she's stoked. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I that's one thing, too, is I'm a cat guy, so... 
we have to make sure George, my cat, actually gets moved out of the house. Otherwise, he'll be up all over in the place. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just like the dog. having uh, to He'd rather uh -oh. be on the show than us. <laughs> right? That's right. So awesome. So there, you know, we got a short little bio there. I wanted to start off the show with giving you a chance to let us know a little bit more about your garden story and uh, how you got all started doing all the fun things in gardening that you're doing today. Wow. Well, it, it, it doesn't go back to when I was seven, but right. it does go back to when <laughs> I was nine. Nine. Oh, nine. almost. All yeah. Right. And I was very interested in fish aquariums and fish. I wanted to raise my own fish to eat. Okay. So I was interested in aquaculture back then. And so I was, um, you know, I got my first fish aquarium from paper route money when I was like nine or 10 years old. And uh, when I was 14, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. So that was like 1974. And I have no idea where I, where that came from. I just know that, you know, I just knew back then that there was something inherently wrong with the way we're living and eating on the planet. And uh, fast forward to 1981, uh, I wrote on, so I, in 1981, I was on the uh, board for the Arizona Aquaculture Association. I was 21 years old. I jumped in, I volunteered and uh, was just interested in, in learning about aquaculture. So I figured that's how I did it. And we went to a farm down in Southern Arizona and they showed us what they were doing and they were harvesting the fish. And when you get, when you harvest a fish, you get about 30% meat and you get about 70% of everything that was left over the entrails and the spine and all that stuff. They were throwing that away. Oh, wow. And mostly, <laughs> mostly it was going out to the wildlife in the area. So that was causing wildlife issues. Plus they were, they were throwing away this amazing resource. So I started yeah. studying and penciled uh, on paper this idea for what we would now call a regenerative fish farm in 1981. Wow. And then in 1991, fast forward 10 years, I, I discovered a book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. It's a conversation between a gorilla and a man. If you haven't read the book and you're interested in our food system, go get it. It's a work of fiction, but there's a whole lot of reality in it. I uh, discovered permaculture in 1991. Yes which I like to call permaculture, the art and science of working with nature. How do we work in the flow of nature rather than against nature? We human beings think we can do it better than nature. I got news for you. For us, right. we don't. Nature's yes. always going to bat last, as Toby Hemingway used to say. The third right. thing that happened for me in 1991 is I did a course uh, at Landmark Education, and it was their advanced course. And what they had us do was create a vision for our life. And the vision that I created for my life was that I am the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. Yeah. Now I can't do that on my own. I don't think for one minute that I can do it on my own, but it's what gets me up in the morning. It's like, okay, this is what I'm doing today. Yeah. And then the fourth thing that happened for me in 1991 was a friend of mine was sailing in somewhere in the world and they anchored on an island and went looking for a grocery store. A grocery and store. One of, one of Daniel Quinn's premise of his writing, of all of his writings, is that food used to be free. 
and then we locked right. it up. Yeah. So when he went looking for a grocery store on this island, the people on the island said, go pick your own. <laughs> right. For me, that was like a... Right? Yeah. And, and then fast forward another 10 years, I end up back at Arizona State University getting my bachelor's degree at the age of 40. And uh, I have to write a mission and vision for one of my classes. And the Urban Farm was created. It's like, how do we create a place for people to come and see that we can have an edible landscape and grow food, just go out and harvest food in our landscape? It just grows their wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really great missions and a lot when it comes down to it, because that's kind of one of the things for me, I got into gardening a little bit later in life. Mm -hmm. And when I when I realized, you know, as I talk about my cucumber story, we ate our first cucumbers off of a balcony that we grew. And it, nice. was, just one of, it was just one of those, like you said, it was like my mind exploded. I was like, wait a minute, we've been we go and buy these things, you know, and, and I can actually just grow this myself, mm -hmm. you know? And then when I moved into a larger space, not much larger, but a little bit larger space, you know, again, as I talked about with Julia in our earlier interview, you know, my, I just, you know, I got this obsession with gardening and growing my own food. I wanted to grow everything. <laughs> so, you know, it just expanded from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And, you know, again, coming back to that idea that I can grow things that I was purchasing before in a store, yep. but not only that, I was growing things that tasted better yeah because you could know, grow them to the correct ripeness that you don't usually find in a store um, you can grow so many different varieties of things that you just can't find in a store because all of those are just you know they're just certain types of varieties that are good for storage and transportation you know right. so you're only getting a very limited selection of what you can get when you get out and grow for yourself You've expect you can expand that whole palette into uh, you know all these different things. So when it comes down to some, you said that you pretty much started at nine. When would, but when was really your first real garden experience? Um, when I was fourteen, so it's like yeah. eighth grade. We moved into the Weldon house. And the, we lived in a townhouse and then we went and moved into a house with, that had about a half an acre. And when we moved into the Weldon house, my mom said, see the right, she knew I was interested in gardening. And she yeah. said, see the right half of our backyard? That's your garden, go start digging. <laughs> so I remember, I remember growing cucumbers, I remember growing watermelons, but more vividly, I remember planting fruit trees. Yeah. My favorite thing to do, and I run a huge uh, fruit tree education program in Phoenix, yeah. Arizona, still do. And we sell about 4,000 fruit trees a year through that program. So we do education first. And so in 1975 or 76, I planted uh, three or four fruit trees in the backyard. Do you remember what kind of varieties of trees those were? Um, they were, we, we planted a peach, a plum, and an apricot. Oh, yes. And by 1978, I was getting so much, so many peaches off the peach tree. I said to a buddy of mine, and I was 18 at the time, I said to a buddy of mine, my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do with all these peaches. And Tim's mom, <laughs> who, 
who has always just been Tim's mom to me, uh, he, Tim said, my mom can teach you how to can. So I went over to his house, took peaches, and she taught me how to can peaches. So uh -huh. I, by the time I was 16, 17 years old, I was gardening. I was doing some serious gardening. Doing serious gardening there. And where was this? Was this in Arizona? Yep, Phoenix, Arizona. I Phoenix. lived uh, in Phoenix, Arizona from the time I was six okay. until last year uh, when I was 61. Yeah. And um, I lived within five miles my entire that entire time. Yeah. A five mile radius of where I lived. So the urban farm was my house. I bought it in 1989 and I lived yeah. there until last year. So I was there for 32 years and uh, it was a third of an acre. That's 80 feet wide and 160 feet deep. And over the course of that 32 years, I turned it into an edible food forest. And that's one of the big things that I'm missing here. Yeah. And, uh, Asheville is there's there's not a whole lot to eat on my property yet so I'm in full full get things planted mode to get that done uh, yeah but so how, the go ahead oh so so you um again we'll stick with Arizona for a moment here you so you were growing and learning a garden there and I'm sure that a lot of people are thinking you know Arizona I mean that's really hot place yes. you know so what are some of those challenges that you found mm. you know in some of those early gardens when it came to growing some of those things that you wanted to grow versus what you were able to grow um i'm a lazy gardener so i always <laughs> find the easy way yeah. and so the things that were easy for me to grow is what i grew consistently and yeah. often those things were things that I would plant and five years later they'd be keep they'd keep coming back. Oh. So yeah. just like just like in a forest, nobody goes and rakes and cleans up and everything yeah. like that. Uh, I'd let my carrots and my parsley and uh, lettuce and kale, I'd let it all go to seed and it they reseed themselves year over year over year. Um so That's a really awesome way of doing it. Right? So, and I'm use I use open pollinated seeds. Yeah. Uh, and so they just, you know, the seeds just replant themselves and come back as volunteers much stronger the next year. And so, um, so you weren't finding much challenge as far as growing certain types of heat. things that you wanted to. Yeah. The heat the for heat. sure. Well, so that particular uh, thing is just, you got to get yourself a good planting calendar. Yeah. Because we can grow in Phoenix, we can grow cold season crops, we can grow warm season crops, we can go hot, grow hot season crops. We just have to grow at the right time. So, in most climates, December January is the time when you take off from your farm, right? Yeah. In Arizona, it's July, August, September. Oh yes. <laughs> Uh, and about 15 years ago, I just got to a place of, I'm just not going to grow things in July, August, September. It's just too dang hot. Uh, I just let the yard do what the yard does. Yeah. Um, so that's the the big thing is adjusting to the growing season. We actually have in Phoenix, we have four growing seasons. Okay. One that starts in August, September with the really hardy cold season crop. So arugula and kale and those kinds of things go in early uh and then 
by October, November, we're planting the cold season crops like lettuce and those kinds of things. We can replant uh, the, some of the cold season crops again in January, February. Uh, in February, March, we get your tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, those kinds of things in. And then March and April, we get all the vining crops in. Yeah. So figuring out the gardening calendar is, that's a really Im imperative thing for you to do, no matter where you're at. The right. second, the second big issue that I'm finding here in Asheville, yeah. as well as in Phoenix was dirt. 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 <laughs> you know, uh, the dirt in, in Arizona and the desert is less than 1% organic matter. Good luck trying, trying to grow everything, yeah, anything. That's in nothing. It. And no the life. Dirt, Right, exactly. Just we're no going to talk light. about that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and the dirt here is clay. We could probably make pottery out of this stuff that's on my property here. So I'm looking at how to amend the soil. And you mentioned life in the soil. There are five components of healthy soil. Yeah. And if you've ever listened to anything I've ever done, I probably say this every time because it's the single most important thing that you can be doing is growing yes. healthy soil. That's right. Five components of healthy soil. Dirt is one of them. But if all you have is dirt, good luck growing anything. Yeah. Dirt, airspace. So you got to have, you know, it's got to be able to breathe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. Yeah. There, there's your life that you mentioned a little while ago. Yep. Dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. The, the good news is, is that in Arizona, and I'm experimenting with this here now, the fix for dirt is add lots and lots and lots of organic matter. Yeah. So for, for where you're at in North Carolina. And in Arizona. And Ar that's what I was going to say, in Arizona as well. So and either absolutely, way. Either way. We've got to bulk up our dirt with lots of organic matter. and. Um, so uh, often I, in fact, I'm doing a project this morning here in North Carolina, um, where I'm raising, I live on a slope and I'm raising part of the slope with a, uh, yeah. berm on one side and I'm backfilling the whole thing with a foot and a half of woody mulch. I yeah. just had, I had the power company people that were pruning trees in the area, dump a, a pile of woody mulch in my driveway. They, they're glad to get rid of it. And <laughs> what's going to happen to that woody mulch over the course of the next 18 months is it's going to break down into really healthy soil. Um, yeah. And in the meantime, I'll do straw bale gardens or I'll do something, you know, right. on top of it. But uh, so the heat, knowing when to plant in really wherever you are, make sure you're planting yeah. in the right season because we cannot count on the nurseries and the big box stores, especially not the big box stores, we can't count mm -hmm. on them to be selling us the appropriate plant for the appropriate season. That's so true. So if you're in Phoenix and you're looking at broccoli right now, it's what, March? If you're yeah. in a nursery or a big box store and they're selling you broccoli, laugh at them and walk away. <laughs> yes. Because for you sure. put it in the ground and it'll immediately bolt. Yep. So that's the first thing. Make sure you're planting the right season. And the second thing is build healthy soil. 
Yeah, soil is the most important part of anything. I mean, it's like where I say, I say to people, you know, that's where life begins and that's where life ends is mm -hmm. right in your soil. It is the medium of life and uh, having healthy soil, building the life structure within your soil is so important when it comes down to it. And again, that really, like you said, kind of, you know, really starts with making sure that your soil or your dirt Mm -hmm. gets a lot of that organic material because that's really the food for all of that life in there. And again, like you're mentioning, creating the space and the air and all of that, that that life is going to need and thrive is only going to make sure that your plants and your garden are going to thrive as well too. Right. Usually if you're finding some problems with your plants and they're not growing correctly, it's probably comes down to the soil itself when you're dealing with, yeah, those kind of, you know, exactly. <laughs> It's, you know, just like anything else we as humans need, they need all of that sort of stuff too, you know, good life in your soil. So, and again, too, I'm just really, you know, that's kind of a fascinating aspect of, of gardening in those more Southern climates though, too, is that how you got to change your uh, gardening calendar. Whereas yep. you know, during the winter time, you're taking a lot of time off here in the Northern climates, but down there, you've got to take that time off in the summertime. It's just a little bit flipped. But right. uh, again, you can really grow all of that sort of stuff. And again, too, I'm uh, you know really fascinated with the idea that you spent all that time in Phoenix, Arizona, and here it is. You know, you've moved to North Carolina. What what prompted that move from a place that you live so much of your life in? Yeah, like ninety plus percent of my life. Yeah. Um, Four point seven million people in Phoenix. Uh, I apparently about a decade ago I had told. A couple of my friends that when my mom passed away, I was going to find someplace quiet to go. Yeah. And mom passed away in 2021. And so it kind of freed that space up. And when I met my partner, Heidi, a decade ago, I said, I want to go someplace quiet someday. <laughs> right. And um, she said, well, we can't leave Phoenix because all my yoga clients are in Phoenix. And it's like, all right, well, I'm with her. And, yeah. uh, and then COVID hit. She put her classes online. We put all of our classes online, and uh, six months later, she said to me, where do you want to move? Uh. Now, I was thinking northern Arizona, like Cornville or Cottonwood or someplace up there like that, and she yeah. started looking and um, found Asheville. It's one of the most biodiverse places on the planet. Yeah. It's a, uh, what do they call it, a temperate rainforest? Is that the right term? It's, it's the good, a lot of rain. We get three to four inches of rain a month. Yeah. So it's a way different water harvesting challenge than here than it is in uh, Phoenix because we yeah. get uh, we get seven and a half inches of rain in Phoenix a year. Uh, so we've already gotten as much rain this year here in in Asheville as we get all year in Phoenix. Wow. <laughs> um, so the big thing was I was looking for a place that was easier to grow food. Yeah. Um, and quiet and quiet yeah. yeah we're we're in we're in rural Asheville um, a little town just 15 minutes west of downtown Asheville and okay. uh, I think there's 3,000 people in the community and it's quiet it's quiet that's nice after all of the hustle and bustle of the city there you get yeah. to have that quiet quiet time but and, uh, the, and the other thing just let me throw this in here and the other thing no that problem. I'm really interested in figuring out is how can I 
how can I grow all of my own food? I'm right. very interested in, in figuring that out. Right. And, uh, how much, yeah. how, what size of uh, space are you living in now? Did you, um, we went from a third of an acre. Yeah. Uh, it was about 13,000 square feet to four and a half acres. Four and a half acres. Yeah. Wow. And I have, um, from, I'm a fruit tree guy. My, the reason I love fruit trees is you plant them once and you get food, food for decades. Yes. You, just, you know, you just manage them and fertilize them a little bit every year and they kick off food for you. And, uh, so I have about 200 fruit, tr fruit and berry, fruit trees and berry bushes that are, we were potting some of them up this morning before I got on the air that I'm, uh, I'm out looking out on my backyard out here right now. And yeah. over the course of the next six months, there'll be at least 150 fruit and berry bushes back there. Wow. That's yeah. That's going to be great. Right. Especially with all that extra space to be able to have for those particular things too, yeah. you know, the smaller space you got, you know, you're kind of limited. You can only have so much, but when you got four acres, boy, it's almost unlimited what you get to do when it comes to that stuff. Um, is there anything, I mean, so far you've only really been gone for about a year, but is there anything that you know, or you, that you grew in Arizona that you're going to miss growing as you move forward in North Carolina? Citrus. Citrus. Yes. Citrus. I, and I, I brought some with me and I'm planning a greenhouse. We'll see how that goes. Um, I want a nice greenhouse. And, uh, so we'll, yeah. And when I was in Phoenix this time of year, I yeah. eat four to eight navel oranges or navel like oranges a day. Uh, so I, I yeah, love oranges are going to have a problem in North Carolina for sure. Yeah. Huh? Unless we're doing them in a greenhouse. And so we'll see. Are your plans? Yes. Cause you gotta yeah. have the, you gotta have the oranges, right? So you got to figure that out. Right. Right. Well, and, and more than anything else, uh, you know, I grew up in Phoenix and cold for us in Phoenix is 38 degrees. Right. This time of year, that's <laughs> warm for us here in Asheville. So I, uh, the, the, one of the big reasons for the greenhouse is so that we have an outdoor place to go to garden yeah. when in the winter. Yeah, that's one of the things I really wish I could grow here. I, just, I live in uh, southern Oregon. Mm -hmm. And it still just gets a bit too cold for some of those oranges and that sort of citrus. My yeah. daughter and I's favorite uh, orange is the Caracara orange. Oh. Just, just no way we're going to be able Dude, to do that here. So That was a Caracara navel orange right before I <laughs> came on. Oh, they're so good. So delicious. And she loves those so much. And she she's a... You know, she knows I like to garden and grow things and, and we do a bunch of different container trees. She's like, you got to grow one of those. I'm like, I just, I just don't think I can. I tried to, I got gifted when I was visiting someone in California a few years back, a, a blood orange and uh, just to grow in a container. Mm -hmm. And I just, that thing didn't last, but a couple of seasons or it tried Tried, for a couple, yeah. It tried for a couple of seasons and I finally had to give up on it because it just wasn't going to just wasn't going to do here in our climate. But it's just one of those things that I kind of wish I lived in a more southern climate so I could grow those citrus because, again, uh, probably the same for you as for me is I, I love the citrus. So when it comes to uh, gardening and growing there in North Carolina, um, 
is there something that you're really looking forward to being able to grow that you know that's going to you know that you get to do here coming up because you said that you haven't done much yet so. right so yes and i'm <laughs> really excited about this yes grain grain oh rain yeah. on my property my property is rolling hills and yeah. um kind of on the downside going off to the right in my backyard it goes down about 40 feet and then there's a flat platform down there that's just dirt and it's probably 1500 square feet and i uh was just talking to my buddy bill mcdormand he's my seed the seed guy that we do a monthly seed chat with every month and um he's going to be sending me some rice oh yeah so I'm going to plant rows of, of uh, ancient heirloom grains. I'll plant three or four different varieties of grain down there and a couple of different uh, varieties of dryland rice. And we'll see. So I'm, that, that'll be fun. Um, yeah. Especially with that acreage and everything, you'll have plenty yeah. of room to grow plenty of that sort of stuff. So it looks like we've got a couple of questions here from our audience that we'll dive into here real quick. Cool. All right. It looks like Garden State Gardeners joining with us there. And um, he says, have you seen Chinese lanternflies in your area? I have not yet. And um, oh, the Washington Gardener. Uh, had an episode of about those on her podcast and that's when I learned about them I didn't you know I didn't know um, anything about them until I listened to her podcast Kathy Gents uh, she she's a podcast and she had a whole episode on that and so but no I haven't seen any of those yet so yeah, well, that brings up an interesting question, though, too, is that's probably that's, you know, one of those big differences between growing in Arizona or growing in North Carolina is those different types of pests that you Pest might be. pressure. Yes. Ugh. Essentially, <clears throat> we had zero pest pressure in Arizona. Zero. We, huh? we didn't have any funguses. We didn't have any molds and none of that stuff growing on any of our fruit the bug pressure there is almost non-existent oh, so i mean obviously for... there are some bugs uh, yeah. the skeletonizers on grapes were a big one but uh, and uh, squash bugs sometimes but uh, just my first year of growing here so we we got here in april of last year and i had a garden planted in may in raised bed pots and a little piece in the ground and uh, I put six tomatoes in the ground and it was a miserable failure. Uh, the potted stuff did okay. Um, and my buddy from Arizona Worm Farm, Zach Brooks, uh, when I interviewed him a few months back, he said, Greg, don't forget your first garden is your worst garden. <laughs> and yep. that was my experience here. I just totally bombed the garden. Yeah. That's uh, the... This past year. It's a, it's the learning experience and especially with such a different learning curve, you've got to take from one low, you know, from one climate to the other climate there yep. too. That's just, yeah. And I'm sure that those pests are going to be a real education coming up soon right? as well too, for all of those things that you got to figure out. Yeah. Let's check in on another question that we have here. 
Bring it. Darth X, do you have to add worms or do they come to your soil party? Oh, great <laughs> question. So we always recommend adding worm castings. That's worm poop when you're yep. planting trees and planting your garden. Yes. And one of the things I'm noticing here, just as I was digging this morning uh, and getting some trees prepped and some areas prepped is the clay, even the heavy clay has worms in it, which is wow. That's amazing. Yeah. But when we're adding the worm castings, uh, yeah. and I do worm composting mostly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a flow through bin by the urban worm bin. It's an amazing worm bin. And you just knock the finalized castings out of the bottom. There's worm eggs in there. So oh, when yes. I'm using those worm castings in my um, in my gardens and pla planting the fruit trees, that is bringing some worm eggs to the party. Just transplanting uh, so, them. Right, exactly. So there's worms here, and we add them indirectly. Wow, that's awesome. And we have another question, I think. Let's see. Oh, Darth X again. Do you grow uh, citrus in ground or containers in Arizona? In the ground. Containers in the in for really containers for anything in Arizona is futile. Yeah. Because of the heat. If it's you are going to grow anything in a container, you have to uh, make it as big of a container as possible and then shade the container in some way. Yeah. And You're just often, gonna dry out too fast, huh? Exactly. Often, what I would do is plant some kind of bean or cowpea, uh, in or sweet potatoes for that matter, in the container, and let them grow, and then they cascade over the edges and shade the pot. So, if you're going to grow in a container yeah. in the heat, you have to shade the pot. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a big challenge when it comes to growing in containers probably almost anywhere though too is when yeah. you get into those summer months and the heat really starts kicking up mm -hmm. you know it's being able to keep those containers moist enough in order to uh, you know not allow your soil to dry out there's nothing worse than completely dry soil in a container it's right. so hard it is so hard to get those containers to uh, absorb that that moisture again when you know. part of the part of the challenge with that is if you let them dry out, they come they uh, can become uh, water phobic. Yeah, so true. in order to get them saturated again, sometimes what I had to do is I took the take the pot and put it in a bucket of water and yep. completely saturate it that way. So mm -hmm. Yeah, again, yeah, it's such a challenge too. And sometimes it just takes forever for it to want to soak that water back up again because of it getting hydrophobic like that. And it's been one of my challenges because that's one of the things I do mostly with my gardening is I'm in small spaces. We're growing, you know, in patios and, you know, just walkways and things like that where you don't have the in-ground space but I still love the challenge of being able to grow some trees. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things we've been doing the last couple of seasons. Um, I've got a peach tree, a couple of apples, and we've got a pear tree that we just got started up this last year. Nice. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, like you're talking about earlier too, about your peach tree that you first started with there. That was one of the first ones that I started here with ours. And, um, 
over it took a couple of seasons but now i mean last year i had so many peaches coming off of this peach tree it was unbelievable and all grown in a container too but again like you're saying the real important thing is making sure that those containers stay watered enough in order to be able to uh, you know to not dry out your root system and maybe really put your plants and trees and shock and all that from that sort of thing yeah so let's get on to some of the fun stuff greg you have probably one of the more fun cool podcasts out there when it comes to gardening i think we mentioned that you have over i mean we're on episode three of our live cast that we have here which is you know a live show plus we put it out as a podcast a little bit later on in the day too but uh over 700 episodes unbelievable Thank you. We're actually approaching 750 at this point. Whoa. <laughs> 750 and over 4 million listens. I mean, that's just really awesome. And uh, again, I really encourage everybody who's watching to go check that out. If you have not checked out at urbanfarm.org, check out these podcasts because Greg really has some great conversations with so many wonderful people from all over the world talking about gardening. Um I think I was just listening to one of your more recent ones and you were talking to someone from England, I think, or no, Australia. So, oh, you listened to the, you listened this week. That was Rosemary Morrow, Ro Morrow. Yeah. She is, she was early on one of the creators in the permaculture movement with uh, Mollison mm-hmm. and Holmgren. I have had yeah. David Holmgren on the podcast. I got him for two episodes uh, but Ro Morrow, she's a rock star. And uh, when her publisher reached out and asked if she could be on my show, it was like, yes, bring it on. So I actually got yeah. her for two episodes. That's awesome. Yeah, I've really been enjoying a lot of those great conversations that you had, too. Um, so, yeah, that's really awesome. And also, too, besides your podcast, and I guess we're kind of going back to Arizona a little bit because you continue to go back to Arizona as well in order to run a fruit tree program that you yeah. started there, right? Yeah. yeah. So in 1999, I decided I wanted to plant a hundred fruit trees, uh, actually 500 fruit trees in Phoenix. And I had a place to plant 50 to 70. And so I was looking yeah. for places around Phoenix to plant orchards and, uh, so I went to the local nurseries and I wanted to buy 50 fruit trees and, you know, I wanted to reduce price cause I was going to buy 50 fruit trees and nobody wanted to play with me. So I uh, figured out how to buy them wholesale from Dave Wilson nursery. So in 1999, I bought 100 fruit trees from them because that was their minimum order. Their, oh, their minimum order. hundred, hundred fruit trees. And it's like, all right, I have no idea what I'm going to do with a hundred fruit trees. Uh, 70 of them got planted in my buddy's front and backyard. He had a football field in his backyard and 30 of them went in pots and people started asking me, so I was teaching classes and that kind of stuff. And people started asking me, first of all, how do I grow fruit trees in the desert? And I'd been growing fruit trees in the desert since 1975, remember? And, um, so how do I grow fruit trees in the desert? And then they would say, where can I get some? Oh, yeah. And so in 2000, I started giving uh, classes in my living room. 
just how to grow fruit trees in the desert because growing fruit trees in the desert is very different than growing them in North Carolina. I'm finding that out now. And uh, before long, I was ordering two or three or 400 fruit trees a year and we'd get them bare root. And basically what that means is the trees get dug up, the dirt gets shaken off, they get bundled and they send them to us. Oh yeah. And so then what we do is when, when they arrive and now we sell about 4,500 fruit trees a year. And so wow. uh, we do our education all year round. We do a monthly uh, uh, fruit tree chat or class uh, through urbanfarm.org. And then starting in September, we do a bunch of classes. We have five different classes on the different aspects of what you need to know to grow fruit trees in the desert. Uh, really grow fruit trees anywhere, but we're specifically in the desert. And then people get an opportunity to pre-order fruit trees. We don't ship, so they have to pick them up at our our facility in Phoenix. And so September, October, November, December is pre-order time. Uh, We do our citrus program in September. So we're open for about five days in September for people to come and pick up their, their citrus trees. And then the our fruit stock our fruit trees start arriving the last week of december a bunch of them are potted in four by four by nine pots Uh, a bunch of them most of the rest of them are bare roots so we have to unbundle them we have to prune them down to size because the roots have been pruned and then we do something called healing them in which is we uh, line them up like soldiers and put uh, compost around their roots so that takes us about 10 days and then we're open for about 10 days. And so okay. people have an opportunity uh, to come and visit with us and pick up their supplies and pick up their fruit trees the second half of January. And then we close down. And but we do education all year round. Oh, awesome. And, and again, one of the is... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, that's just one of the cool things that, you know, that uh, you continue to do, even though you've moved to North Carolina, Mm -hmm. you still come back and maintain this fruit tree program. Yeah. Well, and I have a really great team on the ground. Uh, Janice is my uh, everything urban farm manager uh, in Phoenix, and she works with me, works with us full time. And we're really partners in making this thing happen. So um, that's awesome. That's awesome. One of the things, one of the things I do know, I want to do want to throw this out. So one of the things that really motivates me with my fruit tree program is you can go into most nurseries in every big box store. I know this to be true in Arizona. I'm finding it out to be true here in North Carolina. And they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit in your area. Yes. I've seen it hundreds of times in Mm -hmm. Phoenix. So all of our fruit trees that we bring in, all the berries that we bring in, all the grapes that we bring in, unless they say experimental on them, Mm -hmm. they are are proven by our team. They've been grown out. If you do what we tell you to do, you're going to get fruit. And so about four years ago, I was on a local TV station and they asked me the question about... um, how much of the stuff at the big box stores uh, is not climate appropriate for our area? 
So yeah. I actually went to Humpo uh, and um, checked it out before I went and got on the air with them. Yeah. And over 50% of the edible things that they were selling in the nursery at the, at the big box store um, was not season appropriate, like we talked about broccoli earlier, or yeah. climate appropriate. Um, one of the big things that we have in Phoenix is chill hours of about 350 hours. So if you buy a 600-hour apple tree, you're never going to get apples. Yes. So and that's too and true as well too is like you know going back to talking about uh, uh orange trees, you know. You go mm -hmm. to that same uh, box store that you <laughs> we we kind of glossed over there and and find that they're trying to sell people these orange trees again that are just not going to work out in this area. Right. As well as other things, you know. There's so many things that annoy me when I go to some of these places and and what they're trying to, you know, sell i was just looking through uh i think last season i was just looking through some of the things that they were selling um you know just to check it out just to see what's there you know mm -hmm. and there were a bunch of other people around with me at this store uh this you know in their nursery and i saw a couple of people who were actually holding pots of just lettuce but the it was bolting Oh. And these, you know, they didn't know for one that that's not something that they should buy, but you know, for sure that the cashiers were going to cash them out when it came yep. to doing that. So, you know, unless yeah. they were really looking for some seed ultimately, and that's what they were thinking, I, I, I'd like to think so maybe, you know, but the idea that they're going to sell bolting plants to, uh, you know, unsuspecting right. gardeners is just so annoying. And when it yep. comes down to all that other stuff, like you're talking about trees, you know, orange trees in, in our northern areas and things like that, that are, are just not going to happen. So, right. that, you know, that's why it's really good to, uh, you know, be listening and, and learning a little bit about some of that stuff. So you don't get duped by some of these bigger stores and stuff too. Right. Well, I, I love this story. I was at a, at a, at, a, at the biggest of the big box stores a few years ago. Uh, and I always, I always walk through the nursery department. I wanted to see what's going on in these places. And I found uh, some fruit trees and the peaches had tags on them. And what they said was peach. Right. Just peach. Just peach. Just <laughs> peach. And for those of you that don't know what that means, there are hundreds of different varieties of peaches. Mm -hmm. And some require low chill. Some mm. require high chill. And it just said peach. And yeah. it's like, wow, what kind of peach? Because this may or may not be a peach tree that will grow here. You know, just such a, you know, really irresponsible thing to be doing yep, is, it is selling selling people things without the appropriate information that they need to know in order to right. be successful with growing that. Yep. And that's just, exactly. it, you know, it's such a terrible thing when it comes down to it. Um, let's see. I think we have one more question here. From, I know there was a question from, I think, Michaela about my yeah. episode with Donna. I wanted the to... question? Yeah, there you go, Greg. I just there heard it is. On a, yes, on so, the show, Michaela. It's... Thanks for listening. She's a she's shared with me that she's a longtime listener of the Urban Farm Podcast. The Urban Farm Podcast 
is really about telling people's stories. Yeah. I share, so we have two different kinds of episodes. We do our monthly chats, our seed chat and our garden chat, and I'm on Rosie on the house. Those are more educational where we're talking about seeds or gardening or um, like that. And then the rest of the episodes, I'm interviewing people and we're really getting their story. Yeah. And the reason I love doing the podcast is because I get to learn new things. Yes. I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. I went back to college and got my bachelor's and master's when I was in my 40s. And I didn't do it because I had to. I did it because I was having fun learning. Yes. And so when I was talking to Donna, Donna has some citrus, some lemons that she's growing in Vancouver, BC. Yes. Outside. Oh, wow. And so, yes, uh, Michaela, <laughs> Donna taught me a lot about growing citrus trees here in right. Uh, here in North Carolina. So we'll see. And, you know, in December, it got down to uh, uh, 18 degrees, felt like minus two uh, here. So, you know, that was impactful for them. At that point, we brought them inside. Uh, But um, yeah, so I, I love the podcast because I get to learn so much. And yeah. I get to talk to cool people. And I've had rock stars like Jason Mraz and uh, uh, Holmgren and, um, all kinds of, you know, gardening rock stars and rock stars on the show. And I've had <laughs> backyard rock stars, you know, Susie backyard gardener and, uh, you know, so, yeah. and, and everything in between. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, one of the big things, you know, is that's a, you know, inspired my idea of getting on and doing this live cast and all of right? that is to, is to be able to do a very similar thing to get to meet all of these just wonderful and amazing gardeners from all over the world and to be able to talk about and share with them their stories you know and yeah. just one thing i was going to mention about one of the ones that i was uh listening to recently as you talked about and always learning when it comes to yep. you know uh, gardening because gardening is a constant if you're not constantly learning things then i don't know i mean maybe you're just not gardening <laughs> right exactly. it's kind of, you know, and uh you know i think i heard you mention once on one of your recent podcasts too about you know gardening is a big grand experiment yep you know and that's one of the things that we're doing is that you know nothing's really hard and fast when it comes to garden lessons or things that you learn and things that right. you know you think can't be done there's always some way to work around and do certain things and you should always be kind of experimenting and that really in the long run brings the joy the fun in gardening is to be able to kind of learn some of those things through that sort of experimental process in your garden right you know, exactly. exactly that's how we learn exactly that's how we learn one last thing i wanted to ask you about is something else too that i know that you do is the uh what is it great american seed up mm, yes uh, talk about that real quick here as we i love that know, idea so um Going back to my vision, uh, I'm the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. I believe that the place that we do that with a capital T is in is where we live. Yeah. In your front yard, in your backyard, in the cities, we need to be growing a lot more food in the cities. And uh, about a, oh, 15 years ago now or so, uh, a buddy of mine and I created our local food economy model. 
And a, a food economy is everything that it takes to make make food happen, all yeah. the way from uh, the growing soil to growing food to uh, harvesting the food to prepping the food. You know this circle. Well, and and mostly in our culture, it's linear. Yeah. And what we're trying to do in permaculture is make it circular. So all of that food waste goes into the compost bins that then makes worm castings or it makes compost that goes back into your gardens and you get the circular thing going. And the food economy, the local, a local food economy has seven different parts to it. Uh, parts like um, culture, which is uh, what does the government say about it? And, you know, interacting on a social level. So there's the social piece of it. And then there's the growing of food and making farmers and, uh, adding value. So somebody grows kale and sells it to somebody that makes kale chips. So that's value added yeah. products and seeds. And so about a decade, 10 or 11 years ago, Bill McDorman, he's my, my awesome seed guy that I work with, uh, with Cornville seeds. Um, you should get him on the show actually. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he yeah. and I were having this conversation about growing local food. And he said, well, Greg, what happens when you run out of seeds? So we did a survey and realized that the bulk of the seeds that we have available to buy for us yeah. are on racks at big box stores. Right. That's it. That's and it. so if, you know, if there's ever a downtime in our food economy, one of the things we're going to run out of is could run out of is seeds. So over the course of the past decade, Bill and I and a couple other, Janice and, and Bell and Kari and I, we kind of brainstormed. And seven years ago, we put together what we call the Great American Seed Up, which is a seed bazaar. It's a live two-day event in Phoenix, in person in Phoenix, where people can come and scoop their own seeds. Because the price of the packet of seeds that has yeah. maybe six cents worth of seeds in the packet yeah, and you pay four dollars for it is in the packaging and marketing. That's right. That is the bulk of the cost. So people come to this event, and we usually get five or six hundred people that come in and scoop seeds over this two-day event. They go to the Armenian cucumber bucket and they take a tablespoon and they they scoop a tablespoon, put it in a bag, and put a business card in the bag and seal it up and put on their list. Okay, I got one tablespoon uh, or one scoop of Armenian cucumbers. And for that, they yeah. just paid a dollar and a quarter. And we made sure that our scoops were five to 10 times what you would get in a packet of seeds. Oh, All right. So that's the event. We've amazing. been doing it now for, I think, eight years. We took one year off for COVID. When COVID hit, Bell came to us, Bill and Bell are partners. Bell came to us and said, oh, my gosh, we need to put together a seed up in a box to let people do it for themselves. All so right. now what we do, and we have multiple people around the country that once a, once or twice a year, they bring their community together and we sell them bulk seeds and all the supplies that you need to bag your own seeds. Oh, wow. And, and um, I had uh, Chris Neese on the, uh, uh, coming up on the podcast uh, and he does twice a year. He buys a big bundle of seeds and it's an investment. Yeah. It's three, four, five hundred dollars. Um, yeah. But what you get from that investment is packets of seeds that are 60 cents each. And they're oh, wow. jumbo packets of seeds. You just have to bag them yourself. 
And that's wow. the fun part. So what he does is he throws a potluck. <laughs> yeah. And everybody sits around and bags their own seeds and they all pay a piece of the price to get the the bulk seeds. Wow. And they, they get a super discounted seeds and they get community. So this was Bill and my idea to energize the, the local seed economy. And you can find out about it at greatamericanseedup.org. Um, okay. And we still do the live event in Phoenix. Last year, we had some people fly in from San Diego oh, uh, right on. for the event. So, um, yeah, it sounds yeah. such like a great, great idea. And again, like you're talking about with the idea of how seeds are really, you know, I mean, next to soil, I mean, you got to have this, you know, you got to have the seeds. You've there you go. What it takes to get those, all those awesome, wonderful varieties. And again, if we came into some sort of situation and, and, and we weren't able to have the, uh, the types of seeds that we need to be able to get through that. I mean, that's just detrimental to society yep. when it comes down to it. And having a program and doing those sort of things that you're doing, you know, as well as everything else you're doing, your online courses, you know, your fruit trees, the, you know, and, and, and especially, you know, the uh, podcast where you're getting to talk with all these people and share all of this really great, wonderful information is just amazing. And it's really one of the big reasons why we had to have you on one of our first shows oh, here you. on the Let's Get Growing show. Yeah, you it, you had said you wanted me on the first one, and we really tried, but I just couldn't make it happen. That's yeah, exactly. But we got you here right, nice and early on, and just again, so awesome to be able to have this really great conversation with you about all of these different things and sharing, you know, your gardening story here with our audience. So. Again, Greg, thank you so much for joining with us and helping us get this whole show launched. It's really awesome to have you here with us. Thanks. I loved it. It was great. Awesome. You're Excellent. doing great work. Keep it up, man. Here's to here's to 700 episodes for you. Yes, right. You bet. <laughs> 700. We're on our way. Again, thanks, Greg. Awesome. We'll talk to you here in a bit. Thanks. All right. Awesome. So awesome to have Greg Peterson with us again. We've, I've been following that guy for quite a while and really enjoy all the different things that he does with his uh, podcast and his programs, as we mentioned and talked about. So I really encourage you to go check him out at, the, at urbanfarm.org and check out all the different things that he's up to and all the different things that he's got coming up as well. And I also want to thank our other guests today that we had with us. I mean, young Nathan bringing on some of that young gardening knowledge and enthusiasm and all of that sort of stuff. Nathan with Growing with Nathan was just really awesome to have him with us today, as well as Julia Domecos talking about her tea gardening for beginners book and all the different things that she's got going on Instagram. Some really awesome, wonderful guests that we have with us today. And be sure to join with us this next week as we'll be having our featured guest, Bevan Cohen, is going to join with us here from Small House Farm. So it's going to be really awesome to be able to talk with him about all the different things that he does. He's written some really great books we'll talk about. So I'm really excited and looking forward to that episode as well as some of the other fun guests we'll have for our channel of the week and our Instagram that we're going to be following. So again, 
I want to say that one of the best things that you can do to help support our show here is to support our sponsor, and our sponsor is IV Organic. So be sure to go check out IV Organic at ivorganic.com and check out their shop. They've got some really cool stuff there. We talked a lot about uh, fruit trees today. You know, they've got a really cool three-in-one plant guard that you could use for your fruit trees to help protect them during summer and winter months. So I encourage you to go check that out. Be sure to use our promo code GROW10, G-R-O-W-10. Save 10% off there at their shop. All right. And be sure to give our show a big thumbs up for all of the great guests that we have here with us today. And also subscribe so that you can keep following along with us here on the Urban Gardener channel and see all the great things that we got coming up here on our show with all of these really awesome guests again i'm really enjoying this we're three shows in we've had such amazing people and some really amazing conversations so from all of us here let's get growing have a great week and we'll see you next saturday